Lord Jesus, whether we are experiencing the height of joy or the depth of sorrow, we know that you are there and you meet us in both experiences. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through the Bible this morning to help us understand that mystery and trust you more. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to welcome those of you who are in the narthex. Good to have you with us. Earlier this week, I was at a conference of all pastors, and uh, we spent some time sharing what was going on in our lives. And I could not believe what some of these pastors were having to deal with. Some had children who were very ill, or even one had a child who had died. Others had various health crises ranging from cancer to strokes. And as we were going around the room, I kept thinking, Lord, come on, we're all pastors here. We're on your side. Couldn't you help us out a little bit? If God is all he's cracked up to be, then why do bad things happen? This is one of the most frequently asked questions, and it's a reason a lot of people give for why they are not Christians. And the question isn't just theological. For many of us, most of us, it is deeply personal. Suffering is something we all deal with in one way or another. Some of you have had horrible things happen in your life. Parents who have abused you, disease that has ravaged your life, not to mention sort of the day-to-day pain that we endure. Things like jobs that are unfulfilling, marriages that go south, loneliness and boredom. And as a pastor, one of the questions I have to answer a lot is, if God loves me so much, well then how come these things happen? So this morning, I'm going to give you a theological answer, and then I'm going to give you the real answer. The answer that the person of Jesus brings us. The theological answer is that most human suffering is caused by the sinful choices that we collectively make as human beings. God didn't want to make us robots, so he gave us free will, and we've misused that. And wars and famines and heartbreak and violence, all are the result of our choices. Suffering is not punishment for sin, but it is the consequences we all reap for our collective choices. Now, of course, that doesn't explain suffering that comes from natural phenomenon, things like tsunamis or cancer. Humans don't cause those things. Again, the theological answer for that is that when we rebelled against God, somehow all of nature fell with us. And somehow that opened the door for all kinds of evil to enter into our world that God never intended to be there. Theologians have explained it in a couple of ways. We used to live in paradise with God, surrounded by his protection. But when we rebelled against God and rejected him and walked away from him, we walked away from that protection as well. And as a result, we live in a fallen world that is hostile to us. Or perhaps before we rebelled against God, our bodies were more perfect, immune to disease and to destruction. But because what happens in our souls affects our bodies, we know this, right? If I worry too much, I can get an ulcer or a heart attack. Because what happens in our souls affects our bodies, when we corrupted our souls by running away from God, who is the source of wholeness, we also corrupted our bodies. And our once perfect, invincible bodies became weak. And now our genes don't work right and our bodies are vulnerable. And so we get diseases and we get hurt and we die. Suffering is not punishment for sin. 
If you are suffering right now, it is not because God is mad at you. But suffering is the natural consequence of our collective human sinful choices. Those are the theological answers to the problem of suffering. And they're pretty good as far as theological answers go. They're at least as good as any other. Atheism doesn't have a better answer for why people suffer. They just do. Other religions don't offer a much better solution. I mean, suffering is either because of something you did to deserve it, either in this life or in another, which really depresses me. But I got enough problems with my own life, right? Let alone having to worry about what I did in 1850, right? Or suffering is just an illusion that we need to escape. And that doesn't work for me either because when I'm in pain, it doesn't feel like an illusion. So the Christian theological answers are at least as good as and maybe a little bit better than others. But let me ask you this question. Do they help? Do they really help? Do you feel better knowing them? Do you feel like this sermon could end right now? And I know some of you are saying, yes, Lord Jesus, come quickly. (laughs) Deliver us from evil. Do you feel like those answers would make you complete and whole as a human being? For me, when I am in pain, I need a different kind of answer than that. I need something more personal. And this is where Jesus is so different. Not Christian theology, but the person of Jesus offers a couple of very unique responses to human suffering that no other religion or philosophy offers. And the first is this. Jesus shows us that God suffers with us. Whatever we want to say about suffering, if Christianity is true, it means that God, the one being in the universe who did not have to suffer, chose to because he loves us. Jesus is God in the flesh. And look at his life. He was poor. His friends deserted him. He was considered a failure. And he died one of the most painful deaths ever devised by human beings. Whatever we want to say about suffering, Jesus, God in the flesh, shows us that we have a God who suffers with us. And there is no other God in any other religion who has that much guts. And this is one of the top five reasons why I am a Christian. Because because what am I to do with all of those other gods who remain just blissfully up there in heaven somewhere, unencumbered by the harsh realities of my life? I will choose the God who chooses to suffer with me because he loves me every time. It's not a complete answer, but it means I'm not alone. Right after my first wife left me, a close friend of mine got married. And because of what I was going through, I I couldn't bear to go to his wedding. So later on, I got together with him to tell him that the reason I didn't go to his wedding was because my wife had left me. Well, he didn't know what to say. So we just sat there in silence for a long time. And I kept waiting for him to say something comforting and pastoral because he was a pastor. And that's what pastors do. We say pastor things. And I kept waiting for him to say something, and he didn't. He just, we just sat there in silence for a very long time, and, and it got very awkward. And I remember thinking, Mike needs to take a class on pastoral care. This is not his gift. It's not working. And then he reached out and grabbed my hand, which was weird. But then I noticed that he had tears in his eyes. He had nothing to say. And he said it very well. He didn't have an answer for my suffering. He knew better than that. He just joined me in it, voluntarily chose to be with me in my suffering. 
He didn't have to do that. I mean, he was fresh off of his honeymoon. I mean, all systems were go for him. He was excited, right? But he chose to enter my suffering with me, and that made me feel like I wasn't alone. It's like Job in the Bible, remember? All of Job's kids die. He loses all of his money. He gets sores all over his body. And all of his friends say, you must have done something awful to deserve this. Helpful. And then his wife is no help at all. His wife at one point says, why don't you just curse God and die? Supportive, right? (laughs) It seems that one of Job's curses was that he lost everything except for the wife and the the friends. (laughs) God left them intact. But in the middle of his agony, Job asked God, do you have eyes of flesh? Can you see as a human being sees? In other words, do you know how hard this is, God? And the answer Jesus on the cross gives us is, yes, I do. And I am here. We have a God who does not explain suffering to us. He joins us in it and gives us the strength to get through it. Which is good. But if it stopped there, it wouldn't be good enough, would it? Because it'd still be kind of depressing. And that's why Jesus does a second thing. Jesus shows us that God brings good out of suffering. That's what Jesus is saying in the passage that we just read about the blind man who receives his sight. The disciples ask, who sinned, this man or someone else, that he was born blind? Kind of a voyeuristic question, isn't it? I mean, kind of gossipy. And Jesus says, neither. It's so that God's glory can be revealed. In other words, don't ask questions about the causes of suffering. No one has a good answer for that. The real issue is not why, but for what. What can God do with it? You know, we are, we are very disturbed by suffering because we don't believe it has any redemptive value at all. Because in our culture, the number one goal in life is to be happy. And I am very guilty of this. I, I am a suffering wimp, which is bad because it doesn't take much to make me feel like I'm suffering. I mean, I have a great job. I have a nice house in Bellevue. You can see why I'm so miserable, right? And it doesn't take much to make me feel like I'm having this excruciating pain in my life. You know, oh no, we're out of margarine. I can't go on, you know. Because I want to be happy all the time. But as I've told you before, God is not into happiness. He's into making us whole. And what scripture says is that God can use suffering to make us whole. Suffering can refine and deepen our character. Have you ever met someone who has never suffered at all? They can sometimes be kind of shallow people. Turns out it takes a few hurts to make us human. And God can use our suffering to help others. People who have gone through cancer have a great ministry to cancer patients. God used my divorce for good in all kinds of ways. He he used it to make me a more compassionate person. He used it to make me less arrogant. It was part of how he convinced me to go into ministry. He didn't cause it. He didn't like it but he used it. God turns suffering around and uses it for good. And again, only Jesus does this. The place that we see this is only at the cross, which was the worst thing that ever could have happened, right? We crucified our creator. But God takes that, turns it 180 degrees around, and turns it into the best thing that ever happened and uses it to forgive our sins and reconcile us to himself. The person of Jesus, particularly Jesus on the cross, shows us that God always uses suffering for good. But it gets even better than that. 
Because not only does Jesus show us that God is with us in our suffering, and not only does God use suffering for good, but what Jesus shows us is that someday God will eventually put an end to suffering because he doesn't like it either. For Jesus, the cross was not the end of the story. His resurrection three days later was. And what that shows us is that whatever suffering we endure, it is not permanent. We are destined for a better place. Revelation 21 says this, God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and he will be our God, and we will be his people. And all this pain and all this suffering will be just a memory, and we will be with God forever, and we will have eternity to ask him, hey God, why did bad things happen to good people? And I'm sure he's going to have a great answer. As a friend of mine says, the most commonly heard sound in heaven will be, Oh, that's why. God meets us in our suffering. God uses suffering for good somehow in our lives, and God will put an end to suffering one day. I have a friend from California who lost her six-year-old son to cancer. I may have mentioned her before, and it was terrible. Our whole church had, had prayed for him for years and when he finally died, we didn't understand why God had done that, why he let it happen. Well, five months later, she gave her testimony at our church, and it was one of the most moving things I'd ever heard. And I want to read to you just a portion of what she said. These are her words. Five, five months ago, Matt, our six-year-old son, died. How then can we stand here and affirm that God is good? This may seem strange, but we have never experienced so intimately and so powerfully God's presence before as when we were in the midst of our suffering. And somehow that experience has been a blessing to us and a source of strength and joy. Don't get me wrong, our son's cancer and his death brought us profound pain. Matt's treatments involved five surgeries, including an amputation of his right leg. We prayed hard, as did many of you. We resolved to trust God, but it was difficult. Instead of healing, we got a second tumor, then another amputation. Soon after, we were told he would only have four to five months to live. I turned to Scripture to find comfort, but hard as I looked, I couldn't find any verse that promised that God would take away sickness and death. What I did find, however, were many promises of how he would be with us and provide for us. My favorite was Deuteronomy 31. Be strong and courageous. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And God kept that promise. Though our pain didn't go away, the burden was eased by an abundance of blessings. Just one example, when Matt started to have a seizure at home, the phone just happened to ring that moment. And the caller just happened to be our nurse. God met our need with the perfect person at the perfect time. Didn't even wait for us to call 911. God worked within Matt to help him face death without fear and live the life that he had left with complete joy. Even while he knew he was dying, he laughed and sang, did cannonball dives, and even with one leg, he would ski and play soccer. God left us no doubt that Matt was going to heaven. In our last conversation before he died, Matt spoke of heaven as a happy place. And then he said, Mom, I can hear the angels singing hallelujah. And then he kissed me goodbye and went to sleep. Those final hours were some of the holiest moments we've ever experienced. There was joy in our tears. We could all feel God's presence in that room felt like hallowed ground. 
Our lives will never be the same because out of the depths of our misery, God parted the heavens and reached down. He pulled us out of the deep waters before we could drown. He didn't take death away, but he took its sting away. And in its place, he made us feel his faithful and abundant love. And for that, we have joy. God didn't take death away. He took its sting away. That is always God's promise. I remember right before Matt died, the children's pastor at our church in California went to visit him. And because you can't just spout theology at a six-year-old, she sat down in really a brilliant pastoral move and just began to draw pictures with him. And she kept asking him, hey, Matt, what are you drawing? And he'd say, oh, I'm drawing a truck, I'm drawing a train, you know, boy stuff. And eventually Matt asked her and said, what are you drawing? And she said, Matt, I'm drawing things that last forever. Do you know what lasts forever? And he said, yeah, I do. God lasts forever. And mom and dad last forever. And I'm going to last forever. My friend has no answer for why her six-year-old son died. What answer would suffice? Even if she had an answer, would it help? She'd still have to live with the pain. What she does have, however, is an experience of God's presence deeper than most of us have ever experienced. What is it to say that your son's deathbed is hallow ground because you felt God there so alive and so present? And she has the comfort of seeing God bring good out of her suffering, using it to build her faith and to give her son joy and confidence that God was with him, and using her son to teach the rest of us a lesson about how to trust God. And she knows that one day she will see her son again in a body that will never die, never age, can never know cancer or the scourge of disease or death ever again. That is the promise of the cross. Suffering is real and it is horrible. But in Jesus, we have a God who meets us there and suffers with us. And he uses it for good and he will bring it to an end someday. Because more miraculous than God's ability to create our life is his ability to recreate it even after it has fallen apart. I know that for many of you this is very personal. You're going through a divorce or there's something in your family that is causing you pain or disease is ravaging your life or you're lonely. I just want to ask you this. Do you know that you have a Savior? And do you know him? Because Jesus is right there waiting for you and all you need to do is say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. And for those of us who do know him, just hang on with both hands. And he will meet you in your pain and he will bring good somehow out of your suffering. And one day, either this side of the grave or on the other side of Jordan, he will bring it to an end. In Isaiah 43, God says it this way. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When, note when, not if. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And you are precious and honored in my sight. Because I love you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this promise. That whether we are experiencing great joy or great pain, you are there. Lord, we pray that your presence would be so real to us that we would be able to say authentically and with joy, whatever our lot, 
Because we trust you, we can honestly say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We ask this in your name, Jesus.